So don't do silly things. Don't create, don't create extra expenses in the family ecosystem, but find a way to have your young adult children understand and appreciate the value of money. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Bobby, welcome to Better Wealth. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here and I am a big fan. Oh man, I, I remember, I believe Farnoosh connected us yes. and I did a Google search of your name <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to oh. be such a pleasure to talk with you. We had an amazing conversation. There's so many gold nuggets. I'm holding one of your, your books that Thank has you. Tony Robbins for, yes. wrote the forward of this and I could name drop uh, for days of the people that contributed to this book. So congratulations. Um, I want to jump right in. I would love to hear a little bit of your story. I want to cover your book on how to be financial, financial grown up. But then I also want to talk about these current events, what you're seeing. I know that you have a new book deal in the making. You're a host of a podcast. You, you're, you're so connected and, and have such a passion for helping people with money um, that I really want this to be just a really valuable time. And so thank you again. And uh, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't wait. Thank you so much for having me. It is really a surreal time because we're recording this um, during this pandemic. So I am at a, you know, a house in upstate New York recording this. You're in your studio. And it's a shame we can't, always, we can't all be together. But it's wonderful that we can be connected over technology. And I think podcasts are having a moment. So I am yes. so excited to be part of yours. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, Bobby, for those of you that don't know you, um, how would you give your three to four minute overview of like what got you into this? Because I know that you weren't born into the money world. It was, it was a decision you made. And, and I, just, I just find your story so inspiring because we have a, this industry doesn't have a ton of women who are mm -hmm. especially are be like rising up and like putting the stake in the ground and saying like, we're not only going to exist, we're going to create content and actually be a public figure. And that's, that's why anytime I have an opportunity to have uh, women on my show that are passionate about this, I, I jump at that opportunity. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your kind words. I wanted to be a journalist. And my father, who's been a huge influence on my life, was a Wall Street guy. And he wanted me to go work on Wall Street because he said, if you want to make money, you should go where the money is. <laughs> and so we came up with a compromise one summer where I had a situation at the time, many internships did not pay actual money. And so I wanted to be an intern. I was offered an internship at CNN and he said, well, I will let you, I will pay for your, I'll still support you over the summer and let you, you know, pay for your rent in New York City. And I had a roommate and all that stuff. But um, but you have to do something in business because that way you'll learn about it and you know, you'll get it. You'll have your aha moment and then you'll see what I'm talking about and you'll come work on wall street. Well, obviously it didn't work out that way. Um, I did have a wonderful summer at CNN business news, learned a lot, learned how the fed worked, learned how the economy worked, learned about corporate earnings from some incredibly smart people. But I also got the bug for business news, which has been a wonderful niche to be part of. And, you know, having started this in the nineties, it's hard to believe time goes by so fast. I think it's been an incredible ride, not only watching our economy and earnings and those things I mentioned, but also watching the increased sophistication and mass appeal of 
financial related content. And now it's content. It used to just be television. Now it's, you know, you've got the internet, you've got podcasts, you've got YouTube channels. It's available in so many different formats, interactive. You do live shows with your audience, which is incredible. So it's really become a great resource and very mainstream. So, so many people can participate in our financial system. Yeah, I, I've this this time uh, of people that can just like look up podcasts or go onto YouTube or Google something. It's definitely a, an amazing time, and it it gets people like myself even a chance. Whereas 10, 15 years ago or twenty years ago, I'd have to like get on a new like I would have to like almost go to one of the major networks. What what kind of well, differences you, have you seen yeah. in that? Yeah, well, you would have to have had the good fortune that I had, which was to be in the New York area, be able to have financial support to go work for free for a television station. And now those opportunities are so much more widely available. So things have changed so much. Um, you know, I didn't answer the rest of your question. So from there, after college, I got a job at CNBC. That's the, the short thing and moved up through the ranks there. And then CNN started a financial channel. So I was recruited to go work at what was then CNN FN. It's no longer around. And I went from there to the Nightly Business Report, got on camera, and then to Reuters, where I worked for many years until I decided that I wanted to switch things up because I was doing a lot of earnings and corporate and, as I said, a lot of coverage of the Fed. And I used to joke that for a decade, the Fed did nothing, but we reported feverishly about the Fed doing absolutely nothing. And I wanted to get more in the weeds and more down to a personal level with actually being able to help individuals. And so I wrote the book, How to Be a Financial Grown-Up, while I was still at Reuters. And the book did well and it provided a lot of opportunities for me to go and start speaking to people and promoting the idea of taking ownership of your own financial future, whatever that may be. And people have different definitions of, of how wealthy they want to be depending on their goals and, and how they want their lifestyle to evolve. And, um, and from there, I started the Financial Grown-Up Podcast, and I also became a certified financial planner. And a little more than a year ago, I started Money with Friends with Joe Salcihai, who is also the host of uh, Stacking Benjamins. And by the way, Money with Friends, we also record on YouTube and Facebook, and that's now part of the Westwood One Network. So one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to have all your podcasts uh, in the show notes, and I'm going to ask all my audience to go check you out, give you a review, uh, because yeah. I know personally, when people review podcasts and share it, it really helps the algorithm. And so that's, that's incredible. I, I've had the pleasure of going through your book, and I'm a... I'm a picky person when it comes to money topics, probably as, as you are as well. And so for those, for those people that are not going to read your book, could you give a summary of like the gold nuggets? Because essentially how you've written this is like, it's, it's not, you've, you've gotten advice from some amazing people. I mean, Tony Robbins wrote the forward to this. So just to give you a like perspective of like all the kind of people that you got advice from, and then they each had, some of them had different ideas that you asked them about. So for, for those of you like who want an overview of your first book, how would you, what were some of the key topics that you learned through that? And um, were, you, were you shocked about anything that you learned in writing this book? I was shocked at how real people got and how honest they were about very personal things that happened to them. They were very vulnerable in this book. I had this idea. I wanted to do something that no one else had done. And I thought I went on to actually what I would call a mentor tour. And I talked to lots of people and, and the general concept I came up with is what can I offer to readers that they aren't getting from somewhere else? What do I have access to? And I had access over my years of reporting to some incredible people 
but many of them had told their business success stories already. So we yeah. had that out there. So I had the idea, what if I can make them feel safe enough to reveal personal stories about money that had an impact on their life? And I actually went to a gentleman named Steve Adler, who was the uh, editor-in-chief of Reuters. And I think he still is. He just received another honor. He's a great guy. And I presented him this topic, and he thought it was a great idea. And he said, but I don't know who's going to do this. Who's going to really reveal a personal story for, you know, I'm, it, it's going to be published. It's, this is not an off-the-record book. And let you publish it and let themselves be vulnerable. Whose publicists are going to let them do this, right? Well, they did. I was shocked. I mean, we have, you know, Sally Krawcheck, um, who now has her own company, Elevest, but was a top, top, top person um, on Wall Street. She talks about um, how she discovered her husband cheating on her and reveals that she, and at this point, she was already very successful, Caleb, didn't know what was going on with her own personal money. We have wow. Jim Cramer from Mad Money talking about his experience literally being robbed. And, you know, he jokes about being, you know, basically drinking in his car and being homeless. I mean, crazy stories. We have Tony Robbins with a very uh, personal story. Maybe we'll leave that as a teaser. But so many people were willing, willing to get very honest because they trusted me. I had this reputation. And it's very important. Um, especially for your audience to understand that when you go through life, you get a reputation and, and that will serve you well if people know that you can be trusted with their stories to tell them in a sensitive and appropriate manner. And my promise to everybody was that they, first of all, they were allowed to approve it, but nobody made any changes, but also that everyone would, would be presented in a positive light. And I keep that promise also on my podcast, which follows the same format of share a money story that had a big impact on your life and the lesson from it. So that trust was really important. And uh, people came through for me. I, I'm really proud of the book. And, and I use those as um, jumping off points to get into different financial lessons. So if we have a story about somebody's first home purchase and the plot twist that happened with that, we'll then talk about real estate. If we have somebody that had a car situation, um, we'll use that to talk about insurance and so on. Wow. Um, one of the things that I've been just kind of blown away is we live in a culture where people don't want to talk about money. Like it's mm -hmm. this private, like no one wants to talk about it. What have you found in your just journey of, of like being on shows and writing a book? Have you, have you seen a difference in society or is it just like, you know how when you're on, like when you buy a car and you start seeing everyone else is driving that same car, you, do you find that more people are open just because you're in the space now? Or as a whole, as America, are we getting more open about talking about our money? I think we are getting more open. I think it's a generational thing. You'll find um, older Americans are used to not revealing how much they have or don't have. But when you're younger, especially because there's such a huge issue with student debt, and yeah. it's so widespread that there is a feeling that we're all in it together. And what I really like is that there's less of a feeling that you did something bad. I don't like that. Um, most student debt, of course, people make mistakes, but most student debt is usually extremely well-intentioned and frankly, used the right way. It's a good thing. I think if you are getting the degree that's going to get you where you want to go and you have to take out a loan and you understand in advance how it's going to work and have a plan, that's fine. We shouldn't vilify that. We should applaud that because it's allowing you this freedom that you wouldn't have otherwise, right? So it, it gives you something. The same thing with, you know, buying a car, buying a house, if debt can get you to your goals and you know how to manage it, debt can be a very wonderful tool. So we have to get away from shaming it. And let's also be honest, 
many people that have debt that really sinks them, it's often acquired with the best intentions. I think we have a stereotype of somebody just going out and shopping or just eating a lot of avocado toast. Usually people build up debt because they're trying to do something they're desperate to pay for something. So, I mean, you hear stories. When I was reporting for Reuters, a woman was going to lose her house. Well, why did she take out the second mortgage on her house that was going to have a balloon payment? Well, her mother was in the hospital and they would not treat her without a payment. And she, she just, it didn't matter. She was going to sign anything that you put in front of her. And she was a perfectly well-educated woman. She absolutely knew what she was signing and she knew she was going to lose her house, but she wanted to keep her mother. And uh that happens. You know, I remember interviewing somebody who needed to do $30,000 of dental work and it was an emergency and, yeah. you know, 2000 is covered on your, your insurance. And so she had $28,000 of credit card debt. She didn't get to have a handbag, Yeah, yeah. but she had the debt. So yeah. we, we tend to vilify debt and I think we have to have a lot more empathy. And a lot of my shows, both Money with Friends and Financial Grown Up, you'll hear that empathy come out. I try to, I tend to be the, the counterbalance to um, my co-host, Joe Salcihai, who I, I think can be a little bit harsh. And, and he can be. He, he can be, be judgy. Well, and, and it's, it makes a good balance. Uh, it's interesting. The podcast that dropped on, on our show today was a guy who talks about empathy-driven sales. And just if you truly want to be in a remarkable business owner, leader, you have to put your like you have to have the ability to hear the other side and you're totally right if you i mean student debt is one of those things that's a great example cuz you get a lot of people that graduate college and they weren't it wasn't necessarily their fault and and then they find themselves in a situation that if they would have if they would have known better and it wasn't again on them it, it's just it's just one of those things where everyone goes to school and so that's one thing that i've seen is like a lot of people look back but you have to be really careful on looking back because it's like, you know, you're, you're where you are because of those experiences. Right. Um, Bobby, this is a question I can't wait to ask you. Overview about how money works. Like if you were, if you were to, I love whiteboards, by the way, if you were to sit down with a group of seniors in college and you were going to give them kind of an overview of your money philosophy and how they could take principles and actually live a wealthy life. Where would you begin? And, and obviously, we could spend three hours talking about this, but what would the summary overview be? Um, and what kind of, what, where would you lead them and talk about? I would start with understanding the simple, you know, you can't spend more, you can't have more go out than comes in as simple as that. And that's the, the baby lesson. And it's not always that easy to actually do because sometimes more things are going out before you've built up the income. You talk about student debt. You might have a student debt payment. You might try to get into the most affordable uh, housing situation after college that you can and so on. I mean, I remember, and I was incredibly fortunate. I had big backstop with my parents, but they, you know, helped me get into my first apartment, but then, you know, I still had high costs. I was eating mac and cheese and sharing it with my friend for quite a while. It was 99 cents, I still remember. And then you also had to buy the milk and you also had to buy a little butter. That's how, you know, thin the margins were for me. I can only imagine, you know, for the average person. So it's really can be challenging. Sometimes more is going out than in, but that's the first thing is try to at least get those two things even, and then just keep moving the needle where what's coming in goes up, 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 up. And the way you can do that is obviously through increasing income. I think that's a lot more important than just cutting, cutting, cutting. Be mindful with your spending, of course. You know, if you, if your friends are all going out for a coffee, don't not go to the coffee, but maybe get a small instead of a large, get a regular coffee instead of a latte. So you're spending $1.59 instead of $4.59. But have that experience with your friends. Don't not live your life 
there are a lot of ways to, to cut costs, but ultimately you have to earn more money. And sometimes that means working more. And a lot of people don't always see that the people that get ahead are working smarter to a large degree, but also working a lot. And it's important to understand that there are choices and that's a generational shift yeah. for good and for bad. I know my generation, I remember effectively almost sleeping at CNN because I was there so much when I was working at CNN and it was in startup mode and I would come in on the overnight shift at midnight and I'd be about to leave and someone would see me and say, oh, we need you for the 6 p.m. show. And you just said, cool, that was it. And then you're yeah. there till midnight and, and, and you'd be there and nobody really was aware or cared, but I moved up because I was there and I was someone that they could depend on. Even when I wrote my book, I did it. I had three kids at home and a full-time job at Reuters and a husband and a dog. And you know where I was on Saturday nights? I was at Whole Foods and those big tables because Whole Foods at the time had, um, I don't it, who knows now, but there were big Formica tables, very uncomfortable. So you were definitely awake, bright fluorescent lights, really good Wi-Fi. You could get near an outlet and it was across the street from my house. And it was really, you know, I felt really lame, but there I was, you know, from like 8 PM to whenever it closed 10 or 11 writing my book and people didn't see that. And when the book came out, they all thought, wow, how did you get that done? That's so amazing. Well, I got it done because I gave up going out to dinner with my husband on yeah. Saturday nights for a few months. Um, so yeah. you do have to make those sacrifices more. Some people, everyone has different skill levels. Some people can work smarter and be more efficient. It is easier for some people, just like sometimes when you're in school, people can study for a test less than you and get the same grade. We all have mm. different skill sets. But a lot of times it does come in to finding a way to create more time in your day to do those extra side hustles that will take you to the next level. Um, you know, I became a CFP, which is not an easy test to pass, uh, certainly for a journalist that has never had a CFP practice. Yeah. And I just took the test. Basically, I spent four months studying for it and I took the test. It was really hard, Caleb. But yep. I passed. People said, how did you how did you do that? Well, yep. every spare moment for four months, I remember my husband would be like, it's nine o'clock. It's Saturday. What are you doing? <laughs> well, I was in the test. There's like a test thing where they, every time you take a question, if you get it wrong, it'll, it puts it back in the pile. And I just yep. would say, I'm not coming to bed until I finish, until I get through this, you know, 1000 question bank and I get every question right. And I would just sit there till one or two in the morning going over these questions. And so, so, so two I things, um, I'm in the process of building a I'm in the process of building a course and the number one thing on, on here when it gets from over after the overview is you being your greatest asset. And the number one thing that I encourage people to do is think about ways to increase your income. Mm -hmm. So real quick, what are the best ways that you found if someone's like, Bobby, I'm, I'm, I will put in the work ethic. Cause I just want to just highlight that. Like you work extremely hard. And my next mm -hmm. question, just, just so you know, is like what motivates that? But if someone's like willing to put in the work, what are the best le highly leveraged areas that they can be focused on that can help increase their income? I'm not sure I'm the best person to answer that because I work in journalism. So okay. the best place is obviously to work where the money is. So if your whole goal was literally just money, you should probably be working in in finance, not doing content creation. I'm just going to be honest about that. I for agree. My, I, and, and I want to also be clear. So I made a choice because for me, I am married. I have, as I said, three kids and all the two are older stepkids and one is a, a young child. 
but I'm, and I am one of, I'm a two income couple. So I made a very deliberate career choice to have a career where I went with flexibility first and maximum income second. So the first thing you have to do is decide. And that might be with a bit with a partner, you know, if you have a, a husband, wife or partner, whatever, um, you have to decide that because I do honestly, and this is just reality, um, from your Gen X friend, it's really hard to have two full, full, full jobs. If you want someone to also be home with the child, you can have yeah. a nanny. Obviously we don't have that. So I led with family and then career and my husband family's first, of course, but he is the primary breadwinner. Um, and I'm proud to say that I make as much as I did in a corporate job still. So I was able to do that while being home with my son. So that's very important. So the first thing you should do is think about where the money is. It is not in journalism right now. But what I think has been really important that I have done, and it's especially important with this pandemic going on, is I've diversified my income streams. And so I have different businesses. So I have the book, which you so kindly mentioned. I have two podcasts. Now, one podcast um, is with a partner who has a very large audience. So definitely it's important who you partner with. Who is your mentor? Because I think that I bring a lot to the table, but I've certainly learned so much about podcasting from Joe Salcihai, and we are now part of a larger network. So that is a for-profit podcast that is very much, um, you know, generated to bring in um, advertising dollars and so on. And then I have my financial grown-up podcast, which um, has been wonderful, but that is more of a brand builder, which leads me to work with brands. So I work with several different brands. I also do sponsored content. Sponsored content can be a big area of revenue, as is um, working with brands. So for example, this morning I was on a local news segment, and when they introduced me, they introduced me as a representative of this brand, which I really believe in. And uh, so I work with them and help them communicate their message. And so that's also another income stream. And of course, speaking could be a big income stream. I've done keynotes. This is something that's on hold right now. So it's very important that you have the different income streams. If my whole business were speaking in front of actual humans, right, that would be a big problem right now. Yep. But because I have these diversified income streams, which I've done very deliberately, my, my um, corporate business where I work with brands is great right now. It's going gangbusters. My speaking business is at zero. Yeah. Now your speaking business is not doing as great. Yeah. <laughs> um, what Bobby, what motivates you? Like there's, I have this same drive. I remember, you know, a lot of my friends growing up were like, Caleb, you never come to parties. You're not like, you're always working. And I, it's, it was hard for me to articulate what we were working on, but I just like, I just like could visualize the impact that we're having and what we're going to have. And that like, just fuels me. How would you articulate? Like, why are you so driven? I like what you just said. Can I take your answer? You can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, I just, I really enjoy communicating it. I think there's no com communicating information and helping people. It's always, you know, it's frustrating when you see someone that wants to better themselves, but just doesn't have the tools. And so if you can give them the skills and give them that information, and it's hard because there's a lot of information out there in theory, but there isn't. So you might tell someone you have to invest in your 401k. What could happen, Caleb, without the full information is that they will check the box and they will put the money in the 401k bucket, but they will then not understand that they have to then put it into an investment. And not only do they have to put it into an investment, they have to know what investment is going to help them reach their goals. So sometimes just because there's an internet page teaching somebody how to do something, assuming they're motivated to even know to look, they don't know what they don't know. 
And so it's so important to have humans that are still communicating this. As wonderful as the web is, there are a lot of things that can go wrong if people don't have the dialogue to ask a question. That's why I love that you're doing these live shows because people can directly communicate with you and ask you for follow-up because they may not know what they don't know. And when you bring up a topic, that will then create the curiosity that can serve them so well. Yeah, I remember 18 years old, like not being able to articulate it, but seeing the potential that people had in their life. And like people, most people listening to this, by, by the way, are only living to a fraction their God-given potential. And I, and I had this idea is like, man, if, if people figured out how to use money and stopped stressing about it, but used it as a tool, that could be the platform, that could be the leverage point, that could be the permission to go out and impact so many people. And so I see that in the work that you're doing. And um, that's why I'm just so grateful that you're on. Um, let's now go to the project that you're working on now. And, and this is, this is I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but this is mainly now looking at parents. Mm-hmm and how they can parent their kids and how they can raise up the next generation, not being helicopter uh, parents. <laughs> so this is something really interesting because quite frankly, um, I'm young, but I think a lot of people listening to my show are, are parents that want to raise up the next generation. And when you told me that this is one of the things that we could talk about, it, it really got me, my attention because one thing that I've been asked over and over is, Caleb, how do I pass on these principles? Or Caleb, I wish I would have known this at your age or you know what I'm saying. And so mm-hmm. um, give, give me some of your wisdom on, on, this, on this topic. Well, this book, actually, you're going to laugh, was inspired by my looking in the mirror and realizing how bad I was at this because I can communicate to the public these tools. But when it came to my own children, and I have these two older stepchildren that are now 20 and 23, I was really struggling. I was struggling. They started to have income in their teens. They're great kids. And I was trying to get them to invest in a Roth IRA because they had this income, their tax rates very low, and I could not get them to actually do it. I said, here's where I have an account. There's a person you can call. He'll walk you through it. And you know, all you have to do is call them. You can do it online. You can do it. You can pick your own brokerage firm. You can go whatever you want. And it just wasn't happening. And I was having such a hard time getting them interested that I started going to experts. And so a lot of the book is about me figuring out how to communicate these financial lessons to them because so many of us of my Gen X generation and to a large degree, the older boomers, we've been helicopter parents. And now many of us are getting the moniker snowplow parents, which means we literally, they're parents that will go in, Caleb, to people's bosses and start advocating for their children, which is ridiculous, okay? But we want to, we want to clear the path for them. We want to solve their problems. But by doing that, we're depriving them of learning to be independent. And more so, we're depriving ourselves we risk depriving ourselves of our own retirement and our own financial freedom because not everyone can afford to constantly subsidize their children. Some people can, That's, that also hurts them. But the biggest danger that I see is that my peer group and I have asked and statistics show we are supporting our children well beyond when yep. it's healthy for them. And we are specifically damaging our own retirement and creating a situation where we may have to ask them for money, which nobody wants to be doing. So I hope that people will get interested in creating their, I mean, we spend so much time talking about retirement and then we destroy it Yep. by giving it all to our children who are not help, helped by it. Yep. It actually hurts them. Yeah. So most of the time people inefficiently try to help, but actually end up hurting off their children in the process. And it's yeah. like this 
generational disaster. And it is, yeah. Yeah. And and I find my husband and I doing it. We we absolutely want, you know, my stepdaughter, you know, has her own health insurance now and it's got a high deductible. And the other day we're talking, well, you know, should we just pay for stuff until she gets her deductible? Because, you know, we know she's trying to save money and you know, it's hard. It's really hard. So I am the journalist and I am getting help from experts. And that's a lot of the book. Any, any story that jumps out at you that you can share before it's published? I don't want to spoil. No, I'm going to, I'm going to hold it, especially because at this point we are um, just going to market with it. So it's going to be a full year and you never know what will be in the book and what will not. But I did just share that I've had a very hard time getting my stepchildren to do their investing and um, the good news is that they're both doing very good things. One did invest in the Roth 401k and one did not, I'm sorry, Roth IRA, one did not, but for a very good reason. So okay. that will be revealed in the book. She well, made a conscious I'll, choice I'll, not to, and she made her case to me. I'll, I'm, I'll have to have you back on to promote your book when it comes out. I'm, I'm excited for that. And, and over like big picture outline of this book, if you're a parent listening to this, um, what advice would you give? Because if I had to summarize what you're saying, if I'm reading in between the lines, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like you want to help your kids, mm-hmm. but potentially are you saying think twice about giving your kids money for the cell phone or paying for college or do Is that what you're saying? Or is it just being like more thoughtful in how you help your children? So everyone has to have an individual approach that's based on a combination of number one, what they can literally afford. If you literally can't afford it, don't do it. If you can afford it, that gets more complicated and everything is based on the individual. The one strong philosophy that I have that I've, you know, that I can share is I do believe in the family ecosystem in that I don't believe in creating extra costs for things. So if you can have a, if, you know, never throw, if your kid's going to be, if your health insurance covers your child for free till they're 26, don't have them pay an extra X dollars on their plan just to teach them. That's silly. You know, it's a family ecosystem. So you guys need to support each other. If her phone bill is going to be higher, if she separates from yours, don't do that, but they can pay for their portion of the phone bill. It's silly, you know, right now we're all living together and it would be ridiculous if I had them paying for their own Netflix. That's just silly. So don't do silly things. Don't create, don't create extra expenses in the family ecosystem, but find a way to have your young adult children understand and appreciate the value of money. Have them feel an ownership of their financial decisions so that when they are on their own, hopefully when this pandemic ends very soon, they can have financial freedom. And there's a lot of satisfaction that comes with that. I was someone that had a lot of wonderful support from my family, but I take a lot of pride in paying my own bills. So it's helping them when you let them do what they want to do. Let them be adults. Yeah. And my, my parents did a pretty good job of this. I paid for my insurance car, my phone, my phone bill when I was in high school, it was interesting. My mom just kicked me off of the Apple family plan because my oh. little sister just got an iPhone. And so I had to, like, she, I got a notification to be like, you have been removed from uh, the family sharing plan. And, and she's like, out of anyone in the family, I think you can afford the extra $6 a month. Uh, yeah. Extra. So you it's just swing it. Yeah, I, I would 100% encourage everyone listening to this to be thoughtful and really put be intentional about what you're doing as it relates to how you train your kids up and, and think short-term and long-term. And Bobby, thank you so much for just like putting a spotlight on this because this is something that's like it relates to every parent 
And yet there's not a lot of people talking about this. And I, I just think your book is going to have a, a huge impact um, and, and is very much needed. Um, so I want to transition to this concept of better wealth. Um, I've gotten clear that for me, better wealth is living an intentional life. And I don't care how much money you have. If you're not able to live an intentional life and be with the people that you love, like it's just, what's the point? When, when someone says, what, is, what does better wealth mean to you? How would you articulate that in what you're headed towards and what you ultimately, why you're motivated in writing these books and helping people master their money? How, how would you articulate better wealth? I think it's important that different that the various generations communicate to each other about money because that helps us all. As I talked about the uh, family financial ecosystem and how we all can support each other, we should all be integrated in understanding what's best for our finances. And that goes both ways. It's not just the parents teaching the children. A lot of what I'll be talking about in raising financial grownups is looking in the mirror at the choices that we make and kind of calling yourself out. My husband and I make bad decisions all the time. Of course, we do things that we want to do with our money, even if we know it's not, quote, the best thing because we want to do it. Sometimes you just want the pair of shoes, whatever it is, and you're going to buy them. So you need to forgive yourself, but also look in the mirror and, and understand that we all make these mistakes and not to judge yourself too hard and not to judge other members of your family and your financial ecosystem that we're all going to make mistakes, but we have to support each other and just move forward and do the best that we can and live life. I think that's something we've all seen come to light during this pandemic as we're spending a lot of quiet time together with our family and having different kinds of discussions. I'm able to communicate, especially with my older children, a lot differently now that we're spending so much time together, not on our way to something, coming back from something, in the middle of something. We're, we're home more. And it's kind of a special time yeah. to enhance your relationship with your family. And that's really what matters more. And by the way, most of us realize we don't need a lot of this stuff that yeah. we're always shopping for. So it's also a time to take stock of the fact that maybe we want to live with less stuff and more time with our friends and family, even when this ends. That's one of the things that I've noticed in my life is like, I want to be less materialistic. And, and it's just, it's just been something that hits me pretty hard in this time of like spending time with family, people that I love and my team, like that means so much more than a new computer or a car or something like that. And so, yeah, I just echo what you're saying. Uh, when it comes to this craziness in our world, and yes, I don't know when this is going to be coming out, this podcast, but I guarantee you the the effects of COVID are, are going to still be in effect. I'm maybe not from a travel standpoint, probably, but from an economy standpoint, what are you seeing in the marketplace? Like, what is your, I, I know that you've talked to a lot of people, you have a lot of expertise when it comes to the whole financial world. What are, what are your big picture thoughts and trends that we're going to start seeing? I think there's going to be a new appreciation for being intentional with money and put very, you know, grassroots for emergency funds. You can say it till you're blue in the face, but I think that the people, especially the younger people that are experiencing this for the first time, now get it and it will serve them well going forward because it's real. If you didn't have that emergency fund and you lost your job, there, let's face it, many people that lost their jobs had were in industries that were perfectly strong. There was no indication of any job interruption. And I mean, I was on a plane speaking in Orlando. I, I took a plane. I spoke at a conference in Orlando. I came back, I think on March 8th. And a week later, we were basically in lockdown. And 
during that time I was away, we probably should have been in lockdown. We just didn't know it yet. So this came so fast and so hard. And so it created a real reference point for a whole generation of understanding the importance of having that financial backstop and not having huge amounts of debt. Because the last thing you want to do, you want to, the last thing you want to be is in a position where you're don't have that couple months, at least a couple months, hopefully more as a backstop. If things go South, even if you did get government help, that check wasn't coming so fast. No, no. Right. I, and, be- yeah. Yeah. and because this happened so widespread, there was for many people, a government check or some kind of assistance that you could get. If you were laid off in a more, uh, I hate to call it a regular economic setback, you might not be getting that check. You wouldn't be getting that $1,200 stimulus check. So it really brings to the forefront the importance of being a little bit conservative, having maybe a little more cash in the bank and investing is really important, but it's also important to do your asset allocation and have enough cash to carry you through when something completely unexpected happens. Let's hope it doesn't happen again. No one ever complained about having too much cash though. Right. A hundred percent. And this is one of the things that, you know, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners who are like, like they, if they have money in a bank account, they'll freak out because they're like, Oh, I could get a better rate of return in the market or whatever. And one of the things I always have to encourage them is like, listen, like sometimes having some money earning at 0% gives you the ability to not freak out when the market crashes, just wait till it comes back or not freak out about different things because you have your basis covered. And so I've been preaching this whole six to a year. I know that sounds crazy, but like a year's worth of somewhat liquid reserves so that you can really, especially if you run a business so that you can really continue to keep payroll up and, and other things. And um, I appreciate you sharing that. So Bobby, one of the questions I end all my interviews with is, is a legacy question. And the legacy question goes like this. You're, you know that this is your last day on earth and you're with the people that you love the most. So your family and, and you know, other people that you are close friends and you want to share with them some of the, the things that you've learned in your life and, and you can only pass on um, this through one conversation. What would that conversation be about and what topics and, and what would you share with the people that you love the most? I would talk about just being together and having quiet time together. Memories like this unique season of our life with a pandemic, I've been incredibly fortunate. My immediate family has been healthy, although I do know of friends of friends that have have had struggles. And so time, time is everything. Um, I lost my mom relatively young and that was really hard. And so I think that's always when you lose somebody so important in your life, you really learn to appreciate the time that you have with everybody. And I remember my mother saying, no one's going to remember your job, (laughs) which is really true. I'm sorry to say, I mean, people remember your career if you have a big career and all that, but at the end of the day, the people that are there with you at the end are going to be your family. And that's, what's the most important jobs can go away. We've learned in this pandemic, a job can go away like that. And you can be very close to your coworkers and that's wonderful. And absolutely friendships are formed at work take those friendships to the next level. If you can, they can become your real friends, but in the end it's your friends and family and the time. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Bobby, how can people reach out to you, find you and, and where can we, where can we go from here? Cause I, again, I want to get everyone listening to this to go listen to your podcast and get your book. That's already out, but uh, hopefully get on the pre-order list of the book that's to come next year. Well, the best way to get on the list to hear about the book coming out is to go to my website, which is bobbyrebell.com, B-O-B-B-I-R-E-B-E-L-L. 
and just get on the grown up list, which is my newsletter and it's free comes out only once a month, once a month ish, sometimes not even once a month. So I promise not to spam you with lots of email. And then, um, thank you by the way, for mentioning my two podcasts, please subscribe and review. They are financial grown up and, uh, money with friends and money with friends has its own website and its own, uh, social handles as well, which I guess you'll share in the, in the show notes, but it's at money friends pod. And my handles are Bobby Rebel and Bobby Rebel and the number one on Instagram. Awesome. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can check out uh, below. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, we will also have the descriptions below. Bobby, thank you so much. I hope you stay you. safe. And I appreciate you sharing your passion, your wisdom, and for all that you do, uh, getting this, this, this information out in the world and helping people live a more intentional life. Thank you so much for having me, Caleb. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. Make sure you press subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or your favorite podcast player.